All right. We are in the book of Second John together. So if you'd like, please turn with me to the book of Second John this morning. Second John. Second John is a very short book in our New Testament, and uh, in that, however, we have a lot of truth packed into these few verses here, and I'm excited this morning to be able to uh, talk about one verse with you today. So we're going to be looking at verse 8. Second John, verse 8. And let's look at it. It says, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. If I say to you, Watch out, I bet you're going to look. I thought about playing a little game with you, but I decided not to. I do that with Amanda from time to time. I don't think she appreciates it. (laughs) But you know what? If I tell you to watch out for something, and I say it enthusiastically, I bet you're going to look, right? You know how to look for danger. You know how to watch out, don't you? Well, this morning, what John is telling all of us is what? Look out. Watch out. But what are we to look for? Really, the question is, is what am I supposed to watch out for and what's going to happen to me if I don't watch out? That's the, really the big question. You're telling me to look out. What am I supposed to be looking for? What's the danger? And what if I'm not looking out and I fall into danger? What's going to happen to me? But the opposite question also arises. What happens to me if you tell me to look out and I do look out and I... I I I don't fall into danger, but I'm protected from it. What happens to me in that situation? The question is, really, what are we seeking to either lose or gain here? That's the big question set before us this morning. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So what I'd like to do as we begin is just take a little survey, a brief survey through this verse and kind of just get our bearings and gain context and, and, and just see that these questions present themselves. So look at it with me. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Look out. Be on guard. Pay attention. Of what or of who are we to look out for? Well, watch yourselves. You're to look out for yourself. Do you see that? It's already so profound, two words in. Watch yourselves. Look out for you. Why? Well, because... Looking at last week's text, what's happening in the world? There are deceivers coming with their deceptions, and we are to be aware of these deceivers and their deceptions, and you are to be on guard against yourself that you might not believe their deceptions. What are you supposed to look out for? Well, the deceivers and their deceptions, yes, but guess what? You're to look out for yourself that these deceptions do not become a reality to you, that you are not the one deceived. So already, who are we looking out for? What are we looking out for? Me. I'm looking out for myself. Watch out. And you look around. What? Oh, I'm the problem. 
I'm supposed to watch out for myself. I'm the danger. I'm the danger. That I might do something or believe something. And what's going to happen to me if, if I fall into danger? What happens? What am I seeking to lose here? Here it is in the next part. So that you may not lose what we have worked for. So that you might not lose what you have worked for. So who was this written to? Look out for yourselves. Who was this written to? Well, go back to the beginning. To the elder, or to the, the elder, to the elect lady and her children. Who was this written to? The church, composed of false believers or true believers? True believers. So this is written to believers. Watch out. That you might not lose what we've worked for. What is it that we've worked for? Now, all of a sudden, your gears are turning because as Christians, we are taught what? This is not a works-based salvation. You don't work for anything. But instead, we have faith in the one who has worked everything in Jesus Christ. So then what have the believers worked for here? That's a good question, isn't it? What have they worked for? And if they fall into danger, why might they lose something? You're going to lose what you've worked for if you're not careful. What are they, they going to lose? That's a good question. What can the believer lose? Something. But instead, if the believers do watch themselves, what happens then? What's to the positive? That you might win a full reward. So if we watch out for ourselves that we don't fall into the deceivers and their deceptions, that we might be walking in the truth properly, like some in the church were walking in the truth, right? I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, but not all of you. So be careful and watch yourself because I want you to be walking in the truth. So if you walk in the truth, it's because you're watching out. You're watching out for yourself, being deceived, falling into sin. And if you do watch out, you're not going to lose what you've worked for but instead you're going to win a full reward. Now, let's look at it from the other side. If you are not walking in the truth, but yet a believer, because remember, it was an encouragement to believers to be walking in the truth continually, but you find yourself not walking according to the truth, well, let me pause. Unless we are ones who believe that we're always walking in the truth perfectly. Anybody that believes that? You're perfectly walking according to the truth. Okay, so there are times then that we're not walking according to the truth. We're not watching out. We're not being careful. We're being deceived by ourselves, by our own sin or the deceivers that are out here. And in that case, we're losing something. What are we losing? What, do, what have we lost? We worked for it. What did we work for? I thought Christians didn't work to gain anything or any standing before God. What an odd text. Which is why we're spending our entire morning on this one verse. Because I think that if we gain proper perspective, here's what we're going to walk away with. An incredible, listen to me, an incredible encouragement to your heart this morning found in this text. This is not so much a text saying, so then almost walk around defeated and worried, scared. Why do we know that we're not supposed to fear? Because something, because Perfect love casts out fear. What are we not fearful of? There is no fearful expectation of judgment on the believer's part, correct? 
So here's what this might lead to. Follow me. It's a danger for all of us. If Christ has done everything and it is now mine and salvation is secure in him and not in me, there is no need for me to do a thing. Why? Whether I'm obedient or not obedient to the word, whether I walk in the truth or don't walk in the truth, guess what I get? The same as you. It's all the same. You get eternal life, I get eternal life. You're a beloved child of God, I'm a beloved child of God. We have an eternal inheritance. All the blessings in the heavens are ours in Christ. That's for you and that's for me. Everybody who has faith in Christ, true. But pushed to its extreme, it will lead you to say something like this. Now, you're not going to say it like this to yourself, okay? But let me tell you in clear words what we actually are saying to ourselves. Whether I'm obedient in this or not doesn't matter. At least I know I have salvation. Doesn't matter. God will forgive me. There will be grace. Now, we have to go back to something Paul said, and you're probably already thinking it, right? So if there is such grace from God, I can sin so that grace may abound. And his reply? May it never be. May it never be that that is the way that the believer thinks. Never. Now, let me ask you, have you ever? You ever thought that? God isn't so concerned with this little detail here. It's not such a big deal if I'm obedient in this or not. Listen, I have salvation. I'm just tired right now. And this is what it is, and it'll be what it'll be, and God will have mercy on me. Come on. It's okay to admit it. We're all sinners. We are all broken. None of us always walking in the perfect truth, correct? So there are times when we admit that we have failures. And in this, what are we not doing? We're not watching out for ourselves. Oh, to only find out that the real danger is actually, it's me. Now, yes, we are, Satan is against us. We were singing about that this morning, weren't we? about Satan and his great schemes working against us. But aren't we so thankful that we have a fortress and a refuge that is not us and we don't work to defeat Satan? No, no, Christ is defeating Satan. And we trust in that. We don't have the power to defeat Satan. You, you know that, right? But Christ does and the battle is already won. That is his battle. So then what are we to do in the meantime? What is it that we are to work for? I didn't think works was part of our thing. We didn't, we didn't want to work. But what is this reward? And how can believers possibly lose something? Now, these are big questions, right? I, I might summarize it by saying this. That believers are to watch themselves because they are at risk of losing something they've worked to gain. That's a summary of what's being said here. This may be seemingly contradictory to all we know about biblical doctrine. Watch myself because I'm at risk of losing something? I thought we just sang a song, and what are we singing? He will hold me fast. Not, I will hold me fast by doing good works. So what are we talking about? If I've led you into confusion and blurriness, then I've succeeded. 
Because it is only when we get rid of what we think we already know and have convinced ourselves that we can approach a text and say, okay, listen, I, I guess I see both sides of this line. Where is the text leading us? Because we believe this to be the word of God, yes. We believe this to be actually God speaking, yes. And it's entirely, completely true, every word of it. And so what is being said here? I want to know. And as I told you, I believe there are two things this is going to do for you by the Spirit of God, if understood properly. Number one, it is going to give you an incredible encouragement to your heart this morning. Secondly, it's going to bring incredible conviction to your heart this morning. Both. At the same time. At the same time. It's incredible. This one text, this one verse here. So the two big questions, here they are on the screen. What is the work they have done, those believers? And number two, what is the reward they stand to either gain or lose? Two views here, and I'm going to present both to you, and we can see which we land at. Now, the reason I can present to you two views is because this is a, uh, a text that through the ages has been kind of a quandary for some. And so there have been two ways to arrive at what this means. You interested to know potentially what you are in danger of losing? Is that of interest to you as a believer? If there's something I can lose that I'm supposed to watch out for, I, I want to know that. If there's something that I seek to gain, I want to know that. As a believer, this is of great interest to me because it has impact on every moment, every thought, every word spoken, every, every single thing that goes through my mind, every action I do, it has impact on everything. And so I want to know, what is this work that is being done? And second, what is it I either stand to gain or lose as a believer? So view number one, Christ is our reward. And all believers receive him equally in heaven as we enjoy eternal life. And so therefore, the work that you have done are your good works, your obedience, your walking in the truth, but what you stand to gain or lose is salvation. That's view number one. View number one has some potential issues, does it not? Here's the issue. In this view, our work of obedience secures our justification. But the thing is, is that we do not work. I put it on the screen so you can see it. We do not work to earn the reward of salvation. And we are not at risk of losing it. True? So clearly this is not a reference to salvation. Because if it were, you've worked hard for this. So keep it up that you might have salvation until the end. Who is the one saving you are saving yourself and you are at risk of not saving yourself because you're not doing enough good deeds romans 8 28 through 30 and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose that's good news for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so God has called us to be conformed into the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. So those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
Okay, and in theology, we call this the golden chain of redemption because it looks at the beginning and the end of the process of salvation. And it's a golden chain because, well, gold is good and a chain links together and doesn't break. So it's all interwoven together. So what's happening is that there is a God who is doing the work all the way from the beginning to the end. In other words, it is God who brings about our glorification. You don't bring about your own. God holds you firm all the way until the end. Because of all those who were justified, how many were glorified? All of them. There were none who were justified who in the end were not glorified. Do you see it? So, you do not work to earn the reward of salvation and you are not at risk of losing it. Look at Ephesians 2 again. I'm not going to read it, but you can go there for your own reference. Is our salvation of works or is it of faith? Is it of faith? Okay, so we have a big problem with view number one. So if we read the text, just look at it in verse 8, and we're not really watching ourselves, what might we think? Watch yourself so that you might not lose salvation, which you have worked so hard for, but that you might win a full reward, which is life with God in Christ in heaven forever. So be careful that you don't lose your salvation. Hold on to it. Do good works. No thank you. View number two. Christ is our reward and all believers receive him equally in heaven as we enjoy eternal life. Now, if you've been observant, that's the exact same definition I gave for view one. All we're going to do is we're going to add something in addition to that truth. That doesn't change. That truth is absolutely, absolutely true. In addition, however, believers will, be, will give an account of themselves to God for what we have done in this life, and God will distribute rewards according to his grace. What is the work that has been done in this view? The work is good works. It's the same. It's the same in both views. But the reward in this situation is various. That is, it is distributed according to his grace. And so, and this is in heaven. It is not heaven itself, but it is in heaven. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works. Good, so we know that this is true. So that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So works is a part of the gospel. It is simply not what justifies us. And it is not what glorifies us. But it is necessarily part of the Christian life. So what are we saying? Because I see a potential issue in this view. Let me tell you the potential issue of this view, and we're going to go on to what the scriptures have to say, okay? What is the potential issue with this view? Is that it seems to produce, you agree, a selfish motivation for obedience. Here's what I mean. Here you have dangling out in front of you rewards for obedience. What do I want? The rewards. Give me the rewards. I want to be as obedient as possible so that I can get what's coming to me because I want it. I want those rewards. Give me the treasures. So yeah, I'll do what you want. You see how that could potentially be an issue? It also makes a distinction in the believer's inheritance. In other words, what I inherit seems to be different than what you're going to inherit. 
If any of these names ring a bell to you, Augustine, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, D.L. Moody, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, John Piper, any of those names ring a bell to you. Or if the Westminster Confession of Faith rings a bell for you, the Heidelberg Catechism, the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, if any of those ring any kind of bell to you, all of those affirm view number two. Why is it that any of these could affirm something that seems to be contradictory to what we know? What do the scriptures have to say and how are so many led to the conclusion? Let me be clear about what's being said. I have a summary on the screen. It's got to be a little smaller because there's more to it. Okay, here's what it says. It's my summary of what we're about to look into. Believers will be rewarded based upon their manner of walking in the truth. This is not because they deserve rewards, but it is because God has promised rewards according to the abundance of his grace upon his children. So if we do not watch ourselves, we are at risk of losing the fullness of our rewards in heaven. How do we arrive at such an understanding? It starts here with two judgments. So we're going to look at two judgments. The first judgment is this. We're going to look at scriptures uh, together. I'm going to give you some references. If you're a note taker, by the way, there are going to be some references here that you're going to want to jot down, all right? There are two judgments coming. And the first is the great white throne judgment. Why is it called that? Because that's what it's called in scripture. So if we look at Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, let me just read it for you. I saw a great white throne, there it is, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. There was no place found for them, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in those books according to what they had done. And the sea, excuse me, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? Do you believe that to be the word of God? Do you believe that there is a judgment coming? Do you believe there is a time coming when the books will be opened? And your name will be found in a book or not in a book. And if your book is written in the name, or if your name is written in the book of life, you will have life. If your name is not written in the book of life, you will be thrown into the lake of fire. Do you believe that judgment is coming? Because that happens at the great white throne judgment. Jesus talked about this, Matthew 25, 46. These will go, go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. There it is. That's it in its simplest terms. There is a judgment coming when believers will be separated from unbelievers. You know that judgment's coming. That's pretty basic, isn't it? There is a time coming when all the dead will be gathered together and a judgment will take place and we will be divided into one of two groups. Those who are the redeemed, the believing, who have eternal life and those who are not the redeemed, the unbelieving, and they will be thrown into the lake of fire. 
Okay? That judgment is coming. That's a reality. Romans 2, 5 and 8, 5 through 8, talk about this as well. But because of your hardened, impotent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day when God's wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed, and he will render to each one according to his works. For those who in patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And what do we know about that? Is that they are storing up wrath for themselves. In other words, they're heaping it on. With everything that's done, every work which will be judged, something is heaped onto that pile. You are heaping up for yourself wrath. You're storing it up for the day when that wrath will come based on the judgment of God. But only for those who are the unbelieving, you see. Because for us, there is no wrath. All the wrath that we piled up was laid on Christ. It is not ours to bear. He took it all. He is our righteousness. He became the atonement for our sins. He covered it all. We don't have to pay for the penalty for our sins because Jesus took it all for us. But for those who do not have faith in Christ, they must pay the penalty for their sins. That happens when this great white throne judgment occurs. But do you know that there's another judgment coming? What, what, what else could there be judged, right? I thought that was it. And that, that's the issue, isn't it? It's because if, if we take justification by faith to its extreme end, we think there is no other judgment happening. We all simply go to heaven and everybody's exactly the same. But there's another judgment coming, which is the judgment seat of Christ. If you've ever heard the Bema seat, that's what this is in reference to, the judgment seat of Christ. What happens at the judgment seat of Christ? There are no unbelievers at the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers. Now, just ask a question. What am I going to be judged for? I thought Christ took all my judgment. You're right. But you're not being judged on the basis of sin and wrath. Remember, perfect love casts out fear. And we have no fear of judgment. So that means we won't be judged, right? Well, no, that's not what that means. What that means is that you won't have wrath for your sin. There is nothing bad coming your way. Don't worry about it. You are his and you are loved by God. But there is a judgment coming, but what's going to happen at that judgment? Something happens at the judgment seat of Christ. For believers, what is it? What happens there? 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10 So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear where? Before the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking to believers. He includes himself. This is Paul. We are all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Romans 14, 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We all, believers, all, we all. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. You will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the believer. You will. And you will give an account for everything that you have done. Here is the conviction. Everything, everything 
But what will happen? What about the stuff that I did that was bad? Because there's a lot of it, right? What about all the disobedient stuff? What about all the sinful stuff? Wh- what happens then? What, I, I'm kind of scared. Of, what, I mean, like, what is he going to do? There's nothing bad coming your way. You're a beloved child of God. You've been forgiven. Do you think that he's going to bring your sin back up, throw it in your face, and bring wrath upon you for what you did that was bad? Or does he remove our sin from us as far as the east is from the west? Is he loving, merciful, forgiving? Just imagine that I tell you, listen, anything you ever did against me, I've forgiven, I've had mercy on you. Listen, it's in the past. Let's move on. I love you. Let's have grace and mercy. And then we meet and I say, now let's go through all the stuff you did that was bad to me. And I start to list it. You say, I thought there was mercy and grace here. I say, oh yeah. I mean, in my own way, it's mercy and grace. So uh, if God is so high above us, why would we expect him to act in such a way? So then tell me what is going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ. For a believer, you will be judged. It is not as simple as when we die, we go to heaven and everyone's the same. Justification by faith alone. You did works. I didn't do as many works. That's okay. Everything's the same. It's all the same. Once we get saved then we're all just floating around just waiting for the Lord to take us home and then everything is the same for us in the end anyway. So why does it matter to do anything, care about any good works in this life? Why does it matter if we all get the same inheritance anyway? Do you see where this leads? We're going to look at another primary text and if you have your Bible, I'd really like for you to look at this one with me because it is very clear. When we have unclear teaching in Scripture, what should we look to? The Scriptures that are clear about it, correct? Should you create a theology based on an unclear text? That'd be dangerous, wouldn't it? Do people do that, though? Yeah. If I were to create this entire theology based on 2 John 8, I think we'd have an issue. But because we have many clear texts that teach this principle, we're okay. We have this, we, we are able to gain understanding and perspective and clarity from other passages. This one that I'm taking you to, 1 Corinthians 3, is very clear on this situation. So let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. This is Paul, remember, speaking to the church in Corinth. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, with gold and silver and precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's, what's the word? Work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. Disclose it. Is your day uh, capitalized in your Bible? Why is that? It's talking about something there, isn't it? Talking about the day, not a day, not some day. The day. The day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. You see that each one? If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive 
reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved. What are we talking about? Well, I think it's become clear, hasn't it? But only as through fire. So, that's pretty clear, isn't it? So the foundation laid is Christ, the gospel. Now, each one in your life is going to build upon the foundation of Christ. Teachers, specifically his reference, but he says each one. And as each one builds on the foundation of Christ, one day, that day, will bring all of your building materials to light. So what's being said is this. You can build something on the foundation of Christ. And what this is, is all your works. Anything you've ever done, thought, everything is built on the foundation of Christ, right? So we have a lot of people who are handy in this room. I know we do. We have a lot of people in this room who build things. I know it. Which kind of materials do you want to build with? Or we can talk about the three little pigs. What kind of materials do you want to build with? Ones that when fire or wind comes along and it destroys it, that seems to be no good. But wouldn't you much rather build something that is lasting and when the harsh elements come by, it remains? Because this is the picture of what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ, is that everything you have done is going to be set on a foundation like a building. What have you built with your life? Now it's going to all be set on fire and only the things that remain were good. And for those things that remain, you will receive reward. But for all the things that are burned up, you will suffer loss. But you yourself will be saved if you have faith in Christ, even though you have experienced great loss. And so here there is a time for us to reflect upon what we have built with our lives. Think for yourself. What have you built with your life? How are you building your life? Whenever you are walking according to the truth and being obedient to Christ, you are building with good material that lasts. When you walk according to the truth, when you walk in faith, obedience, that is building with precious material that lasts. But for every careless thing that is done, for every step of disobedience, you are building something that one day will be burned up and you will suffer loss for that because every single thing you have ever done will come into judgment on that day. Everything. We can see this in the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Matthew 20, 14 through 16. I'll just read a couple of, couple of verses there. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So then the first will be last and the last will be first. Do you remember this parable? There were laborers out in the vineyard and some had been working all day and others came around when it was close. I mean, just imagine yourself, by the way working out in the field. You've been laboring all day. And I said, yeah, I'll give you $50 to labor all day. And you said, that's not great, first of all, but I guess I'll do it because I'm, you know, I need money. And then someone comes and only works for the last hour. And they say, as long as you do a good job, you have the $50 too. And you say, what? How can that be? I worked my whole life 
And you're telling me that someone can come along and do good works and still have something? Yes. Who are we to begrudge God's generosity? Or the parable of the talents. You know that one too. The parable of the talents. Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over, faithful over little, so I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And we know that for each one, according to his talents, was he set over, right? Do you remember that? So if you were given 10, you were accountable to the 10. If you were given five, you were accountable for the five. But if you simply did nothing, that was not good according to your master. So we see it there as well. Or how about Matthew 6? Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but instead do what? Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. What? I thought heaven was my treasure. True, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Do you see how, how often actually this truth is pressed into us as believers. The question we might have is, so should rewards motivate us to obedience? Should reward motivate us to obedience? Is that what you're telling me? Hebrews eleven twenty six. speaking of Moses, he considered the reproach of Christ greater than all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Or of Paul, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run so that you might obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. What's his motivation? The wreath that he's going to inherit. Paul again, 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Listen to this one. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. He's thinking about the end of his life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Can you say that? Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will, the righteous judge, he will award that to me on that day. And not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. What was Paul looking forward to? Acknowledgement for his faithful obedience. Best one. You ready? Hebrews 12, 2. Speaking of Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin. Remember, that's the danger. That's the thing that's, that's weighing us down. Lay aside all that stuff which clings so closely, and it does, doesn't it? And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, what was his motivation? Listen to it. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The joy that was coming to him was his motivation for obedience. Should we be motivated by the joy of our gracious father who is going to reward us on that great day? The answer Yes. Do you see the great joy that there is in a gracious father who rewards, not because he has to, but because he wants to? So we shouldn't actually convince ourselves that you earn, you, you know, you've earned this reward and so, you know, 
I've done my labor and now it's time for my payment. Pay up, Lord. You don't deserve a single one of the rewards that's coming to you. Not one. But out of his grace, he has promised reward. We're going to get to one more thing here, but just a side note. We practice something at our house based on a reward system. And it's for just kind of daily task stuff, you know? Did you brush your teeth? Yeah, good. You know, did you help with some tasks around the house? You know, certain one? Good. Thank you. And if you do enough of these things as, as many days in a row, you get a reward in the end for doing everything that you needed to do every day and you get rewarded for that. But all they've done is be obedient to what we've said in the first place. Does that deserve reward? No. You're just doing what I told you to do. You should do that. But we're going to reward you anyway. Because I want you to be obedient with joy. Obedience with joy. Joy. Like we have joy. We have obedience with joy knowing that our God is gracious. He is a good God who wants to reward our faithful behavior in this life. Is that encouragement to your heart? And is it a great conviction to your heart with the way that your life has come along this far? If that day comes, I don't know what is going to be left once that fire burns. But I have a motivation to build with precious material and to be obedient and look forward to that day. So just the last thing here. There is a humility that comes with gracious reward, right? It's a gracious reward, so that brings about humility in our lives. Don't lose what you've worked for, but win a full reward, a full reward. Revelation 4, 10 and 11. The 24 elders, they were gathered and they fell down before him who was seated on the throne. And what did they do? They cast their crowns. What is a crown? Well, Paul told us it's a reward. You take what has been placed on your head, you take it off, and you throw it at the feet of your Savior. What is that? It's because He is worthy alone of all praise and glory. But what a wonderful Savior we have. What a wonderful God we have that seeks to reward us anyway. So we must watch ourselves. We must watch ourselves knowing that everything we have done will be brought into judgment on that day. Yes? There is a call here for both those who are the believing and those who are the unbelieving. For the unbelieving, those who have not had faith in Christ, know that one day everything you have done will be brought into account and there will be judgment based on what you have done, whether good or evil. And you will either have eternal life or you will not. You will either be in the presence of God forever enjoying him or you will not. Now, the only way to bypass that judgment is by faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in him, knowing that he has covered all your sins and all your penalties. 
But there is another judgment coming for the believer in which everything you have done in your life is going to be laid on the foundation of the gospel and it will all be put to test by the fire and only what remains will be your reward and everything else you will suffer loss for. And so I hope what we're doing today is considering our lives and what we have built on the foundation of Christ. And I have several here and you can see them. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick one here to end with. I like them all, okay? I'm gonna have to go with Hebrews 4 verses 11 through 13 and I'll end with that, okay? Just, let's just listen to what it says. Hebrews 4 verses 11 through 13. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one might fall by the same sort of disobedience for the word of God is living, it is active, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces the division of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow and look at what it does. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The day of giving an account is coming for all of us. We need to be careful and watch out that we might not lose what we've worked for, but might win a full reward. Let's pray.